Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and I'm joined on this podcast by Ian Morris. He is Light Reading's international editor based in the UK. And we discuss Huawei. We discuss uh, broadly the future of the US versus China in terms of being technology superpowers and how what's being done to Huawei right now might actually uh, influence that direction, especially down the road as we get to looking at uh, beyond 5G and into 6G and and AI and whatever comes next. Um, I start out talking about uh, uh, Huawei's uh, CFO and her court battle in Canada. Uh, And by the way, I mispronounced her name. Her name is Meng Wanzhou. And I think I said it with a Texas accent <laughs> in the podcast. So listen up for that and uh, just make a little mark on the paper when you when I sound like an ignoramus. Um, and uh, you might need both sides of that paper. Um, anyway, we uh, talk about uh, Huawei's uh, uh, battles in court and their battle on the uh, world tech scene. Uh, and you'll get all of that right after this break. This podcast is sponsored by ServiceNow. Behind every great experience is a great workflow. ServiceNow delivers digital workflows that create great experiences and unlock productivity for communication service providers and their customers. I am joined by Ian Morris. Hello, Ian. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining me. Um, We've got a lot of Huawei and China stuff to talk about, um, and we'll keep it reasonably short. Um, So I'll update you on uh, China or on, on Huawei's CFO uh, Meng Wang, Wangzhou yep. and her latest court battle, um, and then we want to get to talking about your piece on uh, 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 killing Huawei or or, or taking yeah. out Huawei and what that might mean for for the future. Of it's the, like it's like a movie title. It does. <laughs> well, it was yeah. I was gonna, I'll get into the title in a minute. With er- Eric Stoltz or something. It's pretty ominous. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But to the uh, uh, to the so uh, Huawei CFO Meng uh, Wangzhou, if I'm saying it right, was um, yeah I can never get that right. She was arrested back in uh, 2018, December 2018. Uh, you and I were in uh, the 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 Vision 2020 conference or what, it, what our executive it, it, do. Yeah, in Italy, I think it seems a long time ago now. I think we so, were in Portugal. Yeah. Um, Portugal is it okay? Right, like I can't remember where it is. To me, it's like Italy. I mean, that's that's, that's how somewhere bad. in I, Europe. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Everything is like Italy. Um, but uh, we we were there. We got hit with the news. We were sort of going, "Wow, this is really escalating." And then since then, it's just been a a, a bog down of uh, court motions and extradition hearings, and you know this, that, and the other. The latest thing that happened was kind of a big deal because. It, it was Huawei's a- attempt uh, to um, get the extradition process completely tossed out of court, and uh, right. a-, a judge in uh, in uh, British Columbia said uh, uh, in-, in Vancouver court said, uh, "No, this isn't going to this isn't going to work because we're convinced that that she did actually." Uh, or that she didn't say this in her ruling, but that the, the possibility is there that she uh, 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 was party to a crime that would have been a crime both in Canadian law and in U.S. law. So the the argument that Huawei was made or that Meng's team was making was um, you can't extradite me because even if I committed fraud uh, or, or even if I committed fraud and violated U.S. sanctions, 
Canada doesn't have sanctions against Iran. So there's no point in, you know, there's no point in doing anything. What the attorney general in Canada was able to do was sort of uh, go back over things and, and, and convince the judge that actually the, the broader interpretation of fraud applies here. Um, Canadian law uh, is willing to look beyond its borders to say, Hey, you know, you're not just defrauding uh, a bank. You're actually, um, causing that bank to violate international law. And therefore, uh, you, you should be held accountable to that. That's enough to keep the extradition process going. But what the judge stopped short of doing was saying, now you must stand trial for fraud in Canada. So we're still not sure what, um, uh, What's going to happen there? What I think is going to happen is there, the uh, Canadian uh, government is going to be um, happy enough just continuing on with ex- extradition hearings. Um, right. So they still have to rule on on the extradition, whether it's uh, fair and just and able to uh, be carried out under Canadian law. Um, and once that happens, Meng's team can still... Uh, appeal that ruling, assuming it goes against Huawei and 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 the CFO, um, and that can drag it on for another several months or maybe even years because it would have to work its way back up to the Canadian Supreme Court. So, right. <laughs> so, so this this could go on for. I mean, we could. This could go on beyond beyond Huawei's uh, lifetime. Uh, probably, even. yeah. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is going to uh, you know we're 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 now. I guess kind of resetting or or getting uh yeah kind of resetting the process the due process in Canada so now it's like um uh, you know she, she, she'll have her day in court she'll be able to appeal whatever decision was made um there'll probably be two or three motions in the meantime to slow things down or you know add add yeah. things or whatever i mean the um so yeah this is the the, the point of it was um she's she's losing the legal argument so far but it yeah. doesn't look like it matters it seems like she's going to be um kicking around a mansion in canada for, <laughs> for yeah that's because she's under house arrest in her in her big house isn't she? yeah big very place. big house yeah. very nice place yeah. in a you know yeah. multi-million dollar palatial estate in a tony neighborhood in vancouver and uh yeah. you know uh a stark contrast, as people often point out, uh, China took some uh, Canadian nationals, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say hostage, but it arrested them uh, right yeah. around the same time that she was arrested in, in retaliation, or so we believe. And yeah. uh, they're, they're not in a mansion. They're not, their accommodations are not nearly as nice. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they're not, they're not able to drag out their legal process quite as much. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite yeah. a, um, it's it's quite a thorny issue for Canada, you know, because of all the, uh, you know, problems. It wants to establish that it's acting independently. It has its own laws. It's not just listening to the U.S. government, that sort of thing. But at the same time, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, its citizens are in real danger. You know, the longer yeah. they're jailed in in China, the the more likely they are to die there or or something, you know, like that. Uh, I, th- I think she wrote a letter, didn't she, at New Year, sort of musing on her situation. But, yeah. Uh, which we, which I, I sort of, um, I took the Mickey out of it a little bit. Yeah. I think, <laughs> on my reading, but uh, I, I, I thought it was a bit ill-judged, really. So, she, I mean, obviously, house arrest is not a nice thing if you've got family overseas and she can't see her, her father and things like that. That's not good. But it's certainly, 
much more comfortable than it than it is for other people who who are yeah. under what they say call how I mean, she's not even really under house arrest yeah i, I was about to say don't actually... tell me about house arrest i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm sick to yeah. being in this fucking house um but what but yeah you're right i mean she's got all the creature comforts in the world she has she can have anything she wants taken to yeah. her essentially um you know how she's also, she's also able to go out and about a bit i think isn't she or she was before that i don't know she what has an ankle monitor, monitor and i house. think she can get around right. i'm not sure i'm not sure what the parameters are they probably change right. you know month to month but uh but yeah. the, the, you know the point of it is um you know she she's also just a basket of bad judgment lately because she also yeah. took a photo on the courthouse steps giving the thumbs up sign and acting like uh you know she was at a victory party um, a few yeah. hours before the verdict against her was announced. And so it's sort of like, <laughs> sort of like yeah. you, you, it just made me laugh because it's just like, you know, no harm's coming to her. She doesn't feel the, uh, uh, the sting of regret for any of this nonsense, but it's, it's, it's still kind of, uh, like I said, she, she, she's not one to be counted on for calling, um, uh, calling them, uh, the cultural moment correctly. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, so anyway, mm. we'll have, we'll have more nonsense from her. I'm sure, uh, uh, in the, in the later months, uh, in the, in the, uh, you know, as the, as the months go on, um, let's talk now about your piece, uh, uh, this week, uh, uh well, I'll say by the time you hear this, it'll be last week, but it's, yeah. it's, it's still a good piece, uh, because the, the title was, even if you kill roughly was, even if you kill Huawei, you can't stop China. Yeah. Um, first of all, have we killed Huawei? Yeah. Did, I, did I miss something? Well, well, I mean, that sort of prompted me to look into it. I, uh, I mean, it's there's no, not really any new developments, but there's obviously a lot of analysts have been weighing the implications of what of what the US has done in its latest moves, which just to recap are to toughen up some of the sanctions on Huawei and mm -hmm. essentially prevent it from uh, getting hold of um, components made with US equipment or US design expertise, right. which... And the big problem is it blocks its access to TSMC, a Taiwanese foundry that supplies a lot of components. And um, there's not there's no easy sort of substitute for that. There's no kind of um, obvious alternatives. Yeah. Um, and I and when it happened, I think you know they, they had their press conference and they they're very dramatic as they usually are. They like to come out with these colourful metaphors and you know they were sort of saying they're a fighter plane that's riddled with bullets. And you know I, I thought at the time it's. I think everybody was thinking it's it's bad. It's it's definitely an escalation, but how how serious is it really? And and a, f a couple of analysts have sort of weighed in. Like New Street Research wrote a really kind of extensive, very detailed, very good report. I thought, mm -hmm. but taking quite a strong position, saying that they 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 think they've only got about a year left to live. So wow. so these these rules, if they're applied, I think there's a 120 day kind of grace period to allow, mm -hmm. really sort of to allow U.S. companies, I think, to to adapt. Um, and then they kick in. Now they've stockpiled a lot of inventory last year. They, that was clear from from how much they spent. Uh, no one really knows how much they've got. This is the issue. Um, and the problem is, I, I actually didn't realise this myself, but one of the alternatives to TSMC, SMIC, which is a Shanghai-based company, um, also uses US design equipment. So okay, um, right. I mean, there's two there's two problems with SMIC. One is it's not quite as good as TSMC. TSMC, it's it, it uses um, everything gets measured in nanometers, doesn't it? In in the chip world, so the smaller you can go, basically, the better. Right. It means it's more more efficient. You can cram more transistors into a into a chip. Um, basically, C SMIC is working with slightly bigger designs, essentially, than TSMC, which means mm. you're likely to see some kind of performance. Um, 
setbacks, according to some analysts uh, using SMIC. But the other problem is SMIC seems to be reliant on uh, on these US um, uh, tool makers, basically companies like Applied Materials and I think one's called LAM Research. And these um, would be like the semiconductor manufacturing process. Uh, exactly. It's like the manufacturing bit, the, the things you actually use to make the components. Right. So it's um, not even, they, it's it's not enough that it's just the, the company that builds the chips. It's the company that builds the stuff that lets you build the chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Far, exactly. Far yeah. And, and I guess TSMC seems quite willing to, I mean, they seem to be doing a lot to resist the US and maybe SMIC would and they can carry on using some stuff they already have, perhaps. I mean, they're not going to be able to get it in future because the US companies won't sell to them. But right. maybe they have, maybe there is, I don't know, maybe there is some kind of leeway there. But um, but the issue is that in the long run, trying to replace that equipment is it's not something that's going to happen in a year. So yeah. it's, you know, I think I, I contacted a few people and they're sort of saying, New, New Street Research is saying, I think five to five to 10 years. And, you know, yeah. several years seems to be a, a good a good sort of estimate for how long it would it would take. So you're looking at, you are potentially looking at Huawei going out of business. Now, not everybody goes along with that line. There's a guy called uh, Stefan Pongratz. He's an excellent analyst at Deloro, uh, yeah. a very good firm. Uh, he doesn't think he doesn't see it going out of business. He thinks it will, you know, he thinks it's it's more pain for Huawei. It's more problems. But you know, they've managed to find a way around restrictions in the past. Um, they have this vast R and D budget. You know, China's right. likely to come in and do what it can. Um, you know, he was also talking about loopholes. They, you know, they managed to find loopholes that nobody obviously expected them to find in the first set of U.S. sanctions. Maybe there's. You know, maybe there are ways around this. And one one that's been written about a couple of times already is um, components get delivered uh, to the assembly makers rather than back to Huawei itself. So right. basically Huawei's design, as I understand it, Huawei's designs go to TSMC. TSMC right. kind of does its thing. And then they go to another stage in the process. So if they're not actually getting sent back to Huawei, then maybe that's a loophole that allows you to get around these these restrictions. and. And lawyers are gonna lawyers are gonna have fun arguing about all well, of this. Well, yeah, and they're, you know, not not just that, but I mean, look at what look at precedent. So here's where the two stories intersect: is the thing that that Huawei CFO got in trouble for was really was convincing banks in the U.S. or not not actually in the U.S. I think it was in Canada and somewhere else that 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 uh, that were financing uh, a deal or helping finance a deal um, between uh, Iran and company called uh, Skycom. And yeah. Skycom was, we believe to be a Huawei subsidiary, but Huawei denied that and said it was just a partner. And that's where the, the, the legal issue there. It's not inconceivable that Huawei could come up with uh, shell companies and other legal means to obfuscate or, or redirect, you know, how the parts get from A to B. Now, Granted, it'll take longer, but I, I can certainly see them maneuvering around it with different jurisdictions and different uh, corporate entities or something like that. Um, yeah. Like you said, they were on the entity list, and that used to be a death knell for companies, and they, they yeah. maneuvered around that with pretty good agility, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is hard to tell how 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 sort of final this is i guess you know i mean yeah. it, it is it is obviously serious and it sounds like it's much much worse than yeah um than the last set. now i think the other problem is that when the first set of restrictions came in 
a lot of people saw them as, as, as a sort of ploy, perhaps, by the US administration to get something out of China, whereas analysts now are, this really does look like the US just wants to drive Huawei out of business. I mean, it's got it's got to that stage where there's not a lot of sort of room for, it doesn't look like any rapprochement between the US and China is about to happen soon, you know, quite right. the opposite, in fact. And the other part uh, of this that, that, that factors in, too, is this whole idea of the U.S. being um, butthurt about how far behind it is on 5G. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, so and, and, uh, and this is the Huawei, issue, I suppose. There's an, there's an incentive there. There is. And, and, and this gets to the other part of the story, really, which is, um, you know, that the U.S. might. So New Street Research, which has the most kind of dramatic forecast about Huawei going out mm -hmm. of business in the next 12 months. And it's there. It's their sort of um, view that um, if we look about five years out or maybe 10 years out even, um, you can see the US having the upper hand really in technology because it's just it's just a lot of this stuff that's being cut out is very, very hard for China to catch up with very quickly. It's yeah. going to take them time to get there. But in the long term, you know, and China tends to think in the long term, it's much more long termist, I think, than the Western world. Um, they they will get there in the same way they got there with telecom equipment. You know, years yeah. ago they were viewed as a copycat company. They were viewed as a, a company that came along and ripped off other other innovations. They still have that hanging over them now, of course. But it's very hard to meet an analyst these days who says Huawei is just a copycat firm. They don't really have any of their own innovation. You you right. wouldn't meet anybody who says that. You know, all the all the experts in this area regard them as people who are setting the agenda. You know, I mean. We're now talking about our, our Ericsson and Nokia competitive with these guys, you know, which, right. which wouldn't have been said 15, 20 years ago. So, yeah. So I think, you know, and with the resources they've got and, um, you know, looking outside while we're here, just looking at the Chinese market. And we talked about this before on the podcast. We have 1.4 billion people. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 a market that accounts for a huge share of the the 4G infrastructure business itself. You know, the, one of the reasons Ericsson is so keen to try and build up its market share and to have a bigger position in China, which is it accounts for so much of the world market. I think yeah. we echo the CEO saying about 60% of all spending. So it's, it's, mm. it's a, when you have a market that has that kind of scale, you can sort of drive trends, you can shape how technology goes. And um, another guy I spoke to, Earl Lum, who's a kind of semiconductor expert at a company called EJL Wireless Research. Yeah. He, he came out with a really good, a uh, quote that I included in the story when I spoke to him actually a few weeks ago, he was saying, you know, you look at their R the R&D uh, uh, capabilities of these firms and how much they spend. And there's so many people available now in China coming out of top universities and, you know, very highly skilled, very highly qualified. Even if even if everyone they hire isn't an Einstein, one of them will be, you know, <laughs> and it's just something, it's like looking at the sports market, isn't it? You know, yeah. If, if China ever decided to get serious about soccer, you know the rest of us would be finished, and we'd never win the World yeah. Cup ever again. Right? It's, uh, it's kind of you know it's it's a, it's a kind of similar thing. So, yeah. So I, I think it's it's where it's where it all goes in the end. And maybe maybe what the US is trying to do is you know this gets back to this argument about security and yeah. you know disentangling supply chains and you know not having um, Chinese companies that. You know that the US says flat international trade rules, not having them being able to kind of take advantage of US technology. Now that's possibly fair. Possibly there's a fair argument there, but the ultimate the, the ultimate way that's going to lead is just to the balkanization of the market. We talked about this before. Which is uh, several not standards, good for anyone, yeah, less scale, not good for anyone. And and in a world like that, 
I don't see all, all the nations suddenly getting on, you know, like a, a house on fire where, where they're right. different in the past. So right. you're still going to have you're still going to have a race, as everybody likes to call it. You're still going to have a technology race between the two big superpowers, yeah. and you have a market of 1.4 billion people. Again, you know, with uh, that's been catching up for a long time in other areas, um, pushing forwards its own standards now. You know, being a lot more active, it seems, in 6G already than than Western companies seem inclined to be yeah um against against the us so it's it you know the long the long term i think it is hard to see the us coming out on top now another thing that might happen uh quicker than that is uh which some lawyers have been talking about it gets back to the whole loopholes thing i think but uh it's just companies looking for alternatives to the to the us firms you know you right. if you introduce restrictions one thing that tends to happen is instead of complying with them people look for ways to to avoid them entirely and that might mean just not using us companies so when we talk about china trying to perhaps build alternatives to applied materials or lamb research you know to put money into that area maybe other companies maybe other countries will start to do the same thing as well because they just think it's too much of a headache to have to comply with this new set of us regulations and this sort of things happened before in in areas like satellite technology where you know the us used to be used to have a much more you know, much stronger position than it has now because they they introduced quite stringent regulations and a lot of people just said well we'll find a way around this yeah that's that that's where I think it it, it again this has a knock-on effect um you know not just in uh in the telecom space but you know like you said it just it just continues to it can continue to ricochet once once a couple more countries go that same route and go you know what dealing with the us is kind of a pain and who yep. knows at what point when you're selling to their carriers, they're going to turn around and cut you off at the knees and declare you a security risk or whatever. You know, the more unstable we're seen as a technology partner, um, I think the less, uh, the, the the more likely those scenarios are in the future. It's kind of scary on the long term because it it the both balkanization and um, slowing down that that free trade we've had, especially on the technology side of things. Boy, that 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 puts us you know suddenly several years behind uh you know other countries and then not in a good competitive uh position with the rest of the world yeah and it it makes the risk profile strange as well because people talk about cutting out risk because they mean they don't want chinese chinese companies chinese government rather chinese authorities you know spying on you and you know, I mean, we've never really seen any proof that this is happening through Huawei's products. But um, right. you know, if, if you if you were to take that as a valid concern, you know, one of the things that the European operators have often said is that if you if you restrict things to particular, you know, if you can only buy your equipment from certain countries and you're cutting out other countries and you're limiting the supply essentially, in a way, you're you're less secure because you, you're forced then into uh, into a very small number. You know, I mean, Vodafone's yeah. made this argument before that there's only really three big equipment suppliers at the moment. If all of a sudden you remove Huawei and yeah. something goes wrong with Ericsson and Nokia, which you know have had their troubles over the last few years, neither yeah. of them's looked in the best financial health, then your um, you know your your networks are more at risk. So yeah, you, you know, and by having a balkanized global market, you're actually concentrating risk in specific areas as well, instead of having access to the world's resources, should we say. So yeah. there's lots of different ways of looking at it. And obviously the whole thing at the moment is framed in terms of geopolitics. And right. we don't like the Chinese because they started off coronavirus and then lied about it, apparently. <laughs> so, 
terrible it's, it's, what they did with it. A... My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you must be yeah. listening to the uh, the same uh, 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 podcast and talk shows that I'm, I'm hearing once in a while over here. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering where... if that's gaining more traction, this whole view that it well, was started in a in a lab and and yeah and, we should know, I, I mean not to yeah not to wear out wear out your welcome uh, or anything but the whole yeah you're right I, I, it, it is catching on here as the as the not not the conspiracy anymore but the random like uh, people are just saying it like it's fact you know like yeah. oh, the, the the chinese virus or something like that and you're just you know and it's like look it's, well i i've had this interviews with people Anybody i've even had listening? interviews Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I've had, I've inter- had it, I won't name them because it would not be a good thing to do. But I've spoken right. with people in the technology sector recently, uh, quite senior people who who have that as a serious possibility that this is what happened. And let me um, clear it up for you guys. If you're listening to this and you're in the <laughs> telecom or technology space, you dipshits, listen, <laughs> listen up. It's a virus, and we're hosts. That's how it works. It's called biology figure it out. It, this isn't this isn't like the virus went to Berkeley but its dad was a republican and then his sister was half adopted and went to China. No, no, none of that. This doesn't have anything to do with politics or where it was located. Virus host. That's the that's the most important part. <laughs> it's oh, anyway. Uh, anyway, thanks um, for attending yeah. my TED talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and for me, uh, uh, yelling at all of our, our uh, I usually only do this in editorial calls, so I, I apologize for letting it slip out on the podcast. But uh, I know Scott uh, Pacino will be happy. I've, I've lost my. Oh, he, he he loves all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, good stuff, uh, Ian. Uh, thanks very much for uh, for being on the podcast. Yep. I appreciate it. Thanks, Phil. Okay, that is it. That's our show. Thanks to Ian Morris for his time and insights today. Thanks to our producer, Tian Fu, because if it weren't for him, you wouldn't be hearing any of this. Uh, thank you, dear listener and dear reader. Um, we really appreciate you reading lightreading.com and uh, following our Huawei coverage. And uh, I definitely appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you weren't paying attention, we would not be able to get away with doing all of this at work. Please tell a friend to subscribe and we will see you next time on the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by ServiceNow. Behind every great experience is a great workflow. ServiceNow delivers digital workflows that create great experiences and unlock productivity for communication service providers and their customers.